welcome to Let's Talk Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes UK in Northern Ireland. Throughout this series, we'll be chatting everything diabetes with healthcare professionals, people from the Diabetes UK team and people living with diabetes in Northern Ireland. Today, we are going to be chatting about what it's like when you first diagnose with diabetes. We'll be chatting about type 1 and type 2 and introducing you to some of the people you might start to see and engage with during your diabetes journey. We'll talk about what you can expect during your initial appointments and we'll ask our guests at the end to give you some advice to help you in those appointments and managing your condition. I'm your host, Susie Hull, Healthcare Engagement Manager at Diabetes UK in Northern Ireland and we will be joined by Heather Bell, who is a GP in Carrickfergus and Paul McMullen, who's a consultant in diabetes in Southeastern Health and Social Care Trust. It's lovely to have you both with us today and we'll kick things off by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your role and what made you decide to work in diabetes. So, Heather, we'll maybe go to you first. Hello, thanks very much, Susie. Uh, yeah, I'm Heather Bell. I'm a GP from Carrickfergus. I work in a practice in Green Island, but not a lot of people know where that is so I'm just going to go with Carrickburg. Okay. Um, I have been a GP oh goodness for a, a good number maybe about 15 years in my practice and I think I kind of fell into diabetes when I took on the partnership not by choice but I was kind of forced because one of the retiring partners was was um, interested in diabetes so it wasn't an active choice it wasn't an active choice but I suppose it was a big challenge for me and I think probably what a lot of people a lot of people don't understand is a lot of GPs are um get a bit baffled by diabetes and unless you're really invested and interested in it it can be a bit of a minefield so kind of challenging myself to to take an active interest in diabetes was a really good learning point and it's actually something I really enjoy now and it's not um as as complicated as I as I thought it was and demystifying it and getting ourselves um all upskilled it was so I do take a big part in diabetes education for for GPs and for other doctors and nurses and pharmacists on behalf of that and trying to make it more simple because the more simple message that we have um, amongst us healthcare professionals the more simple message we can give you um as patients living with diabetes on the back of that, I got hoodwinked into joining the Primary Care Diabetes <laughs> Society. Um, we run our annual conferences regionally and nationally, um, and um, and I suppose that's 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 a bit of my background. That sounds like a very busy day today. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a busy day, but it's enjoyable. Great. Paul, what about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a, a consultant diabetologist in the Southeastern Health and Social Care Trust at the minute, working mainly in the Ulster Hospital. Um, I also do some young adult diabetes work within the Southern Trust as well currently. I guess for me, endocrinology as a specialty is looking at hormones, you know, trying to um, replace them um, and correct normal physiology. And, they start, you know, with diabetes, you're either, you know, obviously using insulin to correct that insulin deficiency or get it working a bit better. So it's, I like the fact that we're not treating a disease process as such. It's more treating a condition and trying to correct normal physiology. Um, I guess as I've continued in this specialty you know my main interests are around the technology side of things so I think interest in, in diabetes technology and also uh, young adults uh, transition services and type one uh, and exercise so looking at how different aspects of, um, of lifestyle can impact on this condition. And what made you choose to come into diabetes or was it but like Heather, not necessarily an active choice. Uh, so we chose for specialty training, you know, endocrinology. And um, I, I think it went back to looking at, you know, treating a disease versus trying to correct normal physiology. So for me, endocrinology is a, is a specialty that you're continuously trying to, you know, get the, the body corrected again. Yep. Um, so that kind of made me more interested in that respect rather than treating a end process or a disease as such. Yep. Yeah. 
Brilliant. So we're here today, obviously, to talk about kind of what it's like to be newly diagnosed and kind of it's a, it's quite an overwhelming process. I think we hear a lot of the time. So can we maybe take it back and look at what happens when somebody's initially diagnosed and maybe what has led to that point and what processes have happened coming up to that point? I don't know if we've obviously pointed out. And so you will be focusing, Paul, a bit more on type one and you will be focusing on type two, Heather. Yeah. And so... Well, we maybe go to Paul first. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it's actually quite challenging sometimes to differentiate between type one and type two, particularly in the early stage of a of a diagnosis. So, we do obviously want the messages of um, being tired all the time, being thirsty, um, going to the toilet, and, and too much weight loss to be a real focus for for the general public out there. That if they're presenting with these symptoms, then they should be, uh, diabetes should be considered as a diagnosis. And I think that if they, they do you know, appear quite symptomatic from that, then we often can get a referral straight from um, primary care into secondary care. Um, so currently, we, you know, we, we do run a rapid access service um, where we bring these uh, people with diabetes into that service and try to work on um, distinguishing between type 1 type 2 which I think in the past was a bit of an easier process and, and to a certain extent it didn't it didn't really matter because the treatment options um, metformin and insulin, there was limited choice now, but as diabetes has evolved over the years, we now can tailor the right medications for the right person. Um, so, you know, with the rapid access service, we're trying to make sure that the, the people with diabetes are seen at the right place at the right time by the right team. And I think that has really helped to avoid, um, you know, attendance in the emergency department or, um, you know, avoiding uh, lengthy admissions, you know, for, for starting on insulin therapy and such. So, yeah, the process that we have when we, you know, we would sort of bring them in and, and my main focus initially would be to try to get the glucose level settled. So I tend to use um, insulin therapy, uh, certainly if there's a big strong indication of type 1 diabetes. Um, if there's, if, if I'm not clear, I may use sulfonylureas to try to settle that, that glucose levels. Obviously dietary input and, and glucose check, you know, is, you know, probably needed at the onset for these really high HbA1Cs and particularly if they're um, considered to be type 1 diabetes and then we will send off some tests you know that will then help confirm that but they can take several weeks to go so we have to ensure that we have good follow-up plans that we um, can you know get the glucose levels checked and if we do use say for instance sulfonylureas and and in a week's time they're still sitting very high then it will be you know potentially a lower threshold for starting an insulin therapy but we have to really I mean Type 1 diabetes can affect anybody from a young age all the way up to, uh, you know, an older age group now. And we can't use age as a, an indicator of type 1, type 2. So it is really just making sure that we, you know, we support them as best we can at that initial diagnosis. So I'm very lucky. I have a, I have a, I have a team of people in my rapid access clinic, which would include a diabetes specialist nurse, a diabetes specialist dietitian, um, and administrative support that, you know, we couldn't run these services without. And I think it is really with that team approach, it is really important to provide that enhanced care at the very start of their diagnosis. Um, type 1 diabetes, starting on insulin therapy. There are different approaches that I have evolved over the years. Um, we obviously need to settle the glucose levels and quick acting insulin is you know, one that I like to start quite quickly and make sure that um, people with diabetes can correct down to reasonable glucose levels. And generally at the initial diagnosis, I'll only target down to about 10 millimoles per litre. Um, and what does that maybe mean, 10, 10 millimoles per meter? 
So normally, gl normal glucose levels are between four and seven, you know, pre-meals for, for most people is the, the, the target that we would aim for, certainly with established type 1 diabetes, you know, before they eat, okay? It will rise after their food. Um, so you can see 10... Measurement, sorry to disturb you there, but the measurement, how does somebody get that? Yeah, so that's from a blood glucose meter. So okay. they have to, initially we would use finger prick glucose testing, yep. but they may advance on to sensor technology, you know, um, as we get more information. That can, that can be the major thing, can't it? When people, someone's diagnosed, that's their major fear is, is of, of, of needles and of, of, pin, of pricking their fingers and injecting themselves. And I, that's such a big barrier, isn't it? Um, especially with, with even a young a young kid or, or um, with a new diagnosis or a parent or a carer. Um, it, it must be it must be hard in the hospital trying to. I mean, the, the admissions probably must be more prolonged just to maybe to get the, a patient used to that or a carer used to that. Is that a big challenge? It it is. I mean, there's a lot to get through, and you know, the experience that we have is that when people come into hospital, they you know the wards are so busy, mm -hmm. um, and the food is very different from what we would recommend necessarily, or that the patient would potentially eat at home. So. The, it's an arbitrary environment, so if, if we can avoid admission in any way, mm -hmm. I think it's it's much better for the for the person with diabetes. But there is that uh, fear of going home yeah. um, with all of this, and and it is a very you know uh, we get through quite a lot, and we have to tailor that you know because you could go through too much and overwhelm the person with yeah. diabetes at a very early stage, which is what we don't want. So much support needed, isn't there? Yeah. And it's constant as well. I suppose in, in primary care we we get we get the backup. We'll follow the fallout from that. You know, someone's in in hospital and they, they come out and they'll come to us, and it's just about knowing how to support each. And everybody's different. Some people hit the ground running, and and it's fine. But um, it's it's for me it's it's the emotional support that's needed alongside all, all of that. Um, I think probably for me something coming to mind there as well is like the perception of diabetes coming into that process. Mm -hmm. You know, some people may have some family experience mm -hmm. and surround it. Some people might not have anything. And so, how do you manage maybe a perception that is wrong? Or you mentioned about age there a while ago, Paul, and and that like spectrum of age. People think that you can only have type one as a young person mm -hmm. and type 2 as an older person. How do you manage those perceptions or how do you get past them? Are they as big a, an issue? Yeah, I, I, initially when I see them in a rapid access service, I maybe not, you know, unless it's very clearly a type 1 and very clearly type 2, we try not to focus on the diagnosis as much. Um, we're trying to focus on the glucose levels, get them understanding what this means, you know, how they can get it back down to normal and ensure that they do have the right support. So we try to keep it very open ended questions to make sure that we are dealing with what the person with diabetes really wants to hear about. Um, so it is that that emotional support is, as Heather mm. highlighted there, is really important at the outset. Mm. And, and you do have to vary your how you're talking yeah. you know communicating with the person. and that, that's probably where your multidisciplinary team is so good your DSNs are amazing but then also peer support from like DUK mm -hmm. as well and, and knowing where to find information and um, and I suppose speaking to I mean everybody's going to have a fear um, when, whenever you mention diabetes to somebody they might uh, um, automatically think insulin or um uh, amputation or kidney failure they'll, they'll go to the worst case scenario and then it's hard to assuage someone's fears 100% and I think it um, it's it's a journey and that journey needs to be walked with with our patients and with support of our peers and maybe getting in contact with somebody who ha also has diabetes and finding out do you know what this is a condition that can be managed and can be dealt with and, and, and is challenging and has its challenges um, but, but hearing it's, it's, from somebody else yeah. is sometimes 
a um, lot different to hearing from your healthcare um, professional. Absolutely, absolutely. Because we see all the worst case scenarios, but there's a lot of people who live with this condition and live with diabetes and live, you know, yeah. and that's the big thing. And I suppose you have both mentioned their multidisciplinary teams mm-hmm. and I think an acronym there for MDT, mm-hmm. just in case we use that in our, <laughs> our conversations. Um, do both of you have MDT teams within? Because obviously we've, Maybe not clarified as well. Primary care would be all of your GP services, yeah. all of that. Secondary care is where Paul sits with the the diabetes yeah. specialist nurses and all of that within hospital settings, yeah. just so, to distinguish. So in, in, in primary care, so in my practice, there's there's me with an interest in diabetes in my practice as a GP. And I have a um, my practice nurse who's also interested in diabetes. So physically in the building, there's me and a nurse. But the other members of the team that we would refer out to would be community podiatry for the feet, um, dietitian um, in, in, in external um, buildings. So they won't all be in one building. Wouldn't that be lovely if I could? <laughs> and if I could get the phone for it, believe me, I would. To just go down the corridor and, instead. Wouldn't it be lovely? I yep. mean, it's, it's lovely in hospital in a hospital diabetes review. You, you have everybody all in one place. I'm going right? to make you jealous in a minute. But... Don't. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> You're all in the same room. No. So, yes. <laughs> so for the rapid access, when we have a new diagnosis, I'll often the 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 dietetic team will certainly, and the nursing team, I will encourage to sit in because I think it's really important that we communicate effectively. Which the messages have to be clear, you know. Yeah. And if, if we're all seeing them separately, sometimes those messages can, mm-hmm. you know, from my experience, can be a wee bit, you know, hard, and it's very overwhelming for the person. Then, you know, so we do try to make sure that we have that communication or a handover in front of the person that's that's there. Um, I suppose it even helps with that, like duplication, because as mm-hmm. we mentioned at the beginning, it can be very overwhelming. Yeah. It can be a lot of information that's given to the person at that time so if everybody's sitting in the one room and I know what's not always possible mm-hmm. but if everybody's sitting in the same room then you're not telling the same thing or you know that somebody has already covered a certain element of that clinical work yeah it is really hard to know how much the, the person wants to know as well I mean we'll often start and you know I have to obviously describe the condition and you know and give it as a summary but I'll often I don't want to assume how much knowledge somebody has you know so you have to obviously ask a lot of open-ended questions what they want to know and I think as Heather alluded to before it's really important do they have any support people with diabetes you know we also get young people presenting with diabetes that come in with their parents and and, and we have to really imagine that you know we have a whole family to deal with you know because they're all dealing with it in different times and different points you know at that and it is for any of the changes that somebody has to make in their lifestyle particularly as a young person you have a whole family behind you who maybe has to make some of those or all of those changes as well and so it's not just you it's the support you have around you and the people that are involved in your life as healthcare professionals, we have an agenda of in any consultation. We have a lot of information that we want to impart, um, but we need to take on board that I could be talking to you for ten minutes about every everything in my tick box. I need I need sorted out. Um, you're probably only going to come away from that consultation with ten percent of what I've said, and that might even not even include my name. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there there's going to be there has to be replication and reinforcement of the message because you're not going to get it perfect. I'm Immediately, and just being kind to yourself, I think, initial diagnosis and just knowing that, that you're not going to be 100% and, and you're, this is a journey and this is going to be something that, that you have to live with the rest of your life. And I, I, it can be devastating. I, of course it can be devastating. This is a life-changing event yep. for your child, for yourself, um, for your family member. 
Um, and I think, I mean, we, we could get bogged down in because we're two doctors sitting in a room here in, in the, the medication yeah. side. But I think the most important thing is how you mentally deal with and accept this diagnosis and move forward. How do you recognise that? Because obviously you mentioned there about 10 minutes. You know, we all know that GPs in particular, yeah. you get about 10, 15 minutes yeah. maybe in your appointment time. How do you manage to cover all of that hide and you talk I don't. about replication Susie, I don't <laughs> I, I, I feel every time and um, so in, in prime it's nice we, to know in, that somebody else feels like they yeah, feel because that's I'm overwhelmed hear, too yeah we hear that um, a lot from people with diabetes about that failure so, and it's not failure yeah it's managing your condition absolutely I mean so in primary care we we deal mostly with type 2 diabetes so our patients who could be diet controlled or, or medication controlled and if you're lucky insulin controlled by your GP alone um, which is what we do in my practice but we're just quite niche in our practice that we do that so if you if you're diagnosed with diabetes in general practice you might not have any symptoms of diabetes you might be unaware of this and it might be picked up opportunistically at your blood pressure check um, at your cardiac review so you, you, you haven't uh, presented you haven't presented diabetes with symptoms. diabetes but you've been screened for it <clears throat> So the, shock, the the diagnosis might be a bit of a shock or you might have a family history and maybe suspect that this might have happened at some stage. So the initial consultation in primary care might just be you have um, been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Here's some information. Shall we discuss it? And I'll book you in with my practice nurse for review. So it's a more drawn out process um, of getting the patient on board um, with <clears throat> accepting the diagnosis. And we have time with type 2 diabetes. You know, um, there's not so much um, an emergency situation that is life threatening. It's dietary modification, it's medicine modification. And for the most part, we can relay that message over the course of weeks, several appointments and three monthly, six monthly reviews as, as time goes on. You can take a lot more time <coughs> yeah. in between different measures to see what works. We can. But then, as, as Paul would say, the, the distinction between type 1 and type 2 diabetes is sometimes a bit blurred now. We have a lot more younger people being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and older people with type 1 and a bit of both. And so it can be a bit of a of a, a challenge for us to, to diagnose or distinguish between the two. But often it can take years, you know, sometimes we have yeah. to say, really? yeah, because you, you can, some type, people can have slow onset type 1 diabetes, okay. you know, what we call latter diabetes, latent onset, and they can have some antibodies or mild elevation of antibodies, but their production, their own body's production of insulin can take some time before that can completely disappear. So, it, <coughs> and it's trying to explain that to the person, you know, that this can, this is a process that can take time and we will use insulin or other treatments, you know, to tailor that. Um and um, evolve our diagnosis. I mean, one of the emergencies, you know, we say can be diabetic ketoacidosis. You know, this is a, a medical emergency that if someone, um, and people can present as a new presentation of type 1 diabetes and, and diabetic ketoacidosis. And they come in very, very sick. Um, so again, all of this information is not the right time, you know, to be, you need mm -hmm. to get this person stabilised in, in the hospital setting. Um, and they need various drips of insulin and fluids to, to correct this, uh, the condition. Um, but it is just being able to then, you know, enhance support, you know, for that person because they will go home on insulin therapy, most likely. But even diabetes, ketoacidosis, you know, we have seen some type twos, you know, developing mm -hmm. this, you know, through stress on their body. And the other. How does that present, Paul? And maybe just to point out as well, you're using the full term, but within hospital settings, people may hear of DKA. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just the abbreviation, maybe, for people who hear that thrown out within their trip to hospital. 
So, I mean, just to explain diabetic ketoacidosis is obviously we use glucose for energy. And if normally when you have an insulin is the key to getting that from the blood um, into the cells that need it. So when you can't, when your insulin is not working well or you have a relative deficiency in it and your body's under stress, then you um, cause your energy metabolism to change. So you start producing ketones as an energy source. And normally a, a small amount of ketones is, is, is okay, but in, in somebody who's insulin deficient or relative insulin deficiency, they can produce high amounts of ketones that can make them very sick. So if they're high glucose levels, they tend to present with dehydration, significant dehydration, very thirsty, and they can have, you know, become quite sick. You know, they're vomiting. Their stomach doesn't process things as well, so they start vomiting. Um, so certainly anybody with high glucose levels that's vomiting or, you know, ketone levels that can be checked in primary care, you know, and our primary care colleagues would often check that, you know, when they first present and would, you know, obviously advise them to go to the emergency department if they are presenting with any risk um, of diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, so yes, mainly from being, they're usually very unwell, very you know sick with with, and, and they could have multiple precipitating causes. But with type one diabetes, it can just be a new presentation as how they present with this condition. I, I think the the message is definitely getting out there about early diagnosis. You know, a, a lot of um, parents will phone me with my my child has been running to the toilet a lot, very very thirsty, losing weight, very tired, and 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 even if that doesn't end up being that they have diabetes, we we get frequent phone. Calls from worried parents with these particular symptoms and that's so important because the message is definitely getting out there. For you as a healthcare professional, you would prefer somebody to exactly. contact at that point rather than get to that yes. more unwell point Well, we, we, we did because have, it's easier to manage well, we, at that point. We did have a, a mum of a five-year-old recently and she, she got that child at very early on in this diagnosis so this child hadn't become unwell yet but at very high sugar levels um, and those were causing a lot of thirst at the weight loss and a lot of running to the toilet so we were able to get that child before she developed diabetic ketoacidosis so before she started to vomit started to be very unwell um, and she was able to go to hospital get started on her insulin and she was only in hospital for one day and out again and that's a real good success story now she didn't see that because again she's devastated by this diagnosis Diagnosis. Start of that diagnosis. But for me, as, as uh, from from the medical side, this is great because there was not a life threatening. This didn't lead to life threatening admission or emergency, um, and it was a very short, not prolonged admission. And um, <clears throat> and yes, it's, it has its own personal psychological challenges. But from a medical side, it was it was so good to see that that's happening. And the same with with adults. And it, it's just getting that message across. Let's diagnose this early. And I suppose for us within Diabetes UK, we also hear of the importance of other roles. You know, as you said, these are two doctors sitting here you get to see somebody at a certain point in the mm-hmm. process that early diagnosis can come from visiting your pharmacist mm-hmm. visiting your your health visitor coming in yeah and anybody mm-hmm. so an awareness of those symptoms mm-hmm. so we i'm very lucky to have a, a a great podiatry team that would have a low threshold for chest testing for diabetes as well you know and trying to because people presenting with foot ulcers you know etc could have had diabetes and type 2 diabetes can be very very challenging to to get at an early stage because the symptoms can be adapted over years and they don't present with going to the toilet much and it often is incidental so they can present with these complications so you need to have a low threshold for you know checking um, for diabetes. And I suppose as well within that type 2 category whilst we say it can be earlier in life as a typical diagnosis it tends to be later on in life and a lot of those symptoms maybe are coming from getting older, mm-hmm. just age dependent. 
changes. Like, like non-specific. Yeah. yeah, tired all the time can just be stressed at work, you know, so people just think I'm just burnt out, you know, from work, but actually they haven't really thought about the other symptoms that are there, you know. Yeah, but, but if you're ti- if you're really tired, you should be sleeping through the night, not getting up to maybe go to the toilet mm-hmm. and things. There's, there would be maybe other signs. I, I would probably say a large proportion of my type 2 diabetes diagnoses come from screening um, at our hypertension blood pressure clinics, at our cardiac clinics. So these are our higher risk patients, you know, because cardiovascular disease is such a high risk in our in our patients with diabetes. Um, and it's important to screen for that. So um, not all the time do, do, the, do our patients with diabetes have the symptoms and come to me and present me with the diagnosis. I sometimes just find it. It's just found as part of something else. Part of, yeah. Yeah, and we can find that in the hospital setting where they've come in with a chest infection and, and their, di- you know, glucose levels are high and then subsequently diagnosed with diabetes, you know. So they're, although diabetic acidosis is an emergency, you know, hopefully most of our people with diabetes in hospital settings are coming with urine infections, chest infections, you know, and that can be a, a way of diagnosing them as they come into hospitals. So the emergency t- department is one of their first tests, usually is to check a glucose level. Yeah. Coming back to maybe a point you made a while ago there, Heather, something I picked up on was you are the GP in your surgery mm-hmm. who has a specialist interest mm-hmm. and you have a practice nurse yes. with a specialist interest in mm-hmm. diabetes. If somebody doesn't go to one of you two within your surgery, does that mean anything different for anybody? Or No, um, don't get me wrong. When m- myself and my practice nurse are on holiday together, not together, but at the same time. <laughs> Just <laughs> a way to stay in together. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Um, when, we're away, when we're on annual leave at the same time, the other partners panic a little bit. Um, they don't really know. Um, every GP has training and will be able to, to deal with, with treating diabetes, type 1, type 2, diagnosing it. But I suppose the intricacies of medication changes um probably would be more specifically referred to me um or there there are community hubs there's community diabetic specialist nurses there's always somebody to ask help from every gp practice is different so the diabetes um list might be dealt with by a, a practice nurse alone a practice pharmacist alone it doesn't always have to be run by by a gp um I think what I, I probably the message I would say in, in, in general practice is that we're not only dealing with diabetes in our in our day. Um, we, as you say, Susie, we've got 10, 15 minute appointments, but we're seeing maybe 20, 30, 40 people a day with high blood pressure, with palliative care issues, with antenatal care, you know, babies being born, mummies needing help, psychology, depression. There's so much we have to deal with in a day. So I wouldn't expect every GP to be a specialist in diabetes but knowing where to ask the help from and uh, is so important because we're not we're not superheroes we don't carry all that knowledge in our heads so be patient with your GP um, as well be kind Um, (laughs) we're here to help and we'll get you the help and it is just for you a specialism it's maybe more about that management long term for people within the surgery that actual diagnosis can come from anybody within that surgery and as you mentioned there maybe are different rules now. Yeah. GP pharmacists are becoming mm-hmm. more used. It may come from somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose that we maybe will come to a bit of a close in conversation because we don't want to overwhelm people with information in a different way. But probably one thing I maybe want to ask you to wrap up the session with is can you give us one piece of information or advice or one top tip for people maybe in that newly diagnosed or maybe just prior to, is there something that you would recommend or advise for them? 
Do you want to go first or make that? I would say for, for just to recognise the symptoms would be, and I think that the diagnosis, you know, um, may be uncertain at the start, so I appreciate that, you know. So, But no one thirst, you know, that you're, you're very thirsty, that you're tired all the time, you're going to the toilet more and too much weight loss. Those four T's are a really important message that we do sort of diagnose early and make sure that these people are attending their, their general practitioner or... Um, healthcare providers, you know, so that we can we can get that right treatment tailored to that person. And I suppose even you're mentioning there that um, the uncertainty around type one and type two nowadays. There's a positive in that too. It means that there's more medication, more Absolutely. treatment Absolutely, and I think that's one thing I would highlight to a lot of people coming in that you know we can now focus on what it's it's tailored to that person. So is it about you know um, cardiovascular risk? You know, is it about you know risk their kidneys? Is it you know their weight? Is it for type two? There's so many different treatment options that we can tailor. And certainly that early stage diagnosis, that's not as, you know, we're focused on getting the glucose levels settled, getting them, at, you know, at their diet and, and, and focus on that side of things. But it does allow us down the line when they get into the right service area, you know, by the right team, that that's all can all be tailored to that person. And what about yourself then, Heather? One I, I, piece of advice? I think that the thing that always hits with me is, so we, we can get you diagnosed, we can treat you with medication and we can send you off into the end of the world to crack on with it. But my top message would probably be to be kind to yourself. Allow yourself to, to have the good days and the bad days and don't always see yourself as, as a failure. And that's easier said than done. I think there can be days when you're really, really winning at it and you've just got your sugars under control and you've just done a great job. And then you wake up the next day, you do exactly the same thing and your sugars are all over the show and there's no reason for it. And, and I think you need to be just kind and just go, you know, some days... Good days, some days are bad days. Can I can I fix it? No, but you just have to maybe don't let it get you down and, and keep keep your your mindset um positive. Um and if you're not okay, let us know because we, we need to know how to support you. Um because this is something that you ha- that you'll be living with and you can live with diabetes yeah. and that's the most important message. So no matter what um how uh, how hard it can be, there's so many resources available to help and support you, be that um from your local friendly consultant <laughs> or your local friendly GP. I think probably something to pick up there within and it's actually part of a previous conversation that you and I have had. Yeah. Um to pick up on the partnership thing mm-hmm. there you know you talked about coming to your healthcare professional that's about trust mm-hmm. and partnership and you are starting a partnership nearly mm-hmm. at this point and you will be working back and forwards across the next whatever number of years yeah. and starting to build that there mm-hmm. is really important yeah thank you very much for joining us today it has been absolutely fantastic to sit here and chat away to you and hear all about your work your role and I hope that people living with diabetes can get something from this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Diabetes. Remember to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want to hear more from Diabetes UK Northern Ireland, follow us on social media at Diabetes UK NI.